don't be scared. It's all right. Uh, Here we go. Well, Tamara, she knows. She's letting me, oh my God, Keith, what are you going to do? <laughs> Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, God, for this wonderful place and these wonderful people and for hearts that love you. I thank you for Rod and Jeanette and Lord, their hearts cry for you and their hearts cry for the people that are here. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way in this place. Let us understand some new truths. Let us feed on your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, who likes my hat? Not a bad hat. You know where I got this hat? Anybody guess? Dream world. No, but what? it's a dream world hat. And this has got nothing to do with the sermon. But this morning when I woke up, I felt God say, wear the hat. And uh, I walked into the building. And Aunt Helen over there, I walked up and I went to say hello to Helen. And Helen looks at me and she goes, oh my gosh. She said, I thought you were a teenager. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. I'll tell you what. And here I am. Out here, maybe not. But anyway, why did he tell me to wear the hat, Rod? Because, see, it says here, dream world. And I want to ask yourself, the thing on the top of your shoulders, what's it for? Dreaming. What is the thing on the top of your shoulders for? Dreaming. Yeah, that's very, very true. This is not part of my message. But I just felt to remind some of you, I don't know what's going on in your world, but I feel like God wants you to dream again. And you know what happens in this thing we call our mind? Where God wants us to dream things of what are possible that may seem impossible for others. That whole Africa thing, really, honestly, um, has become something very, very significant. We've got like a thousand people we affect there now directly as Ignite. Probably over. And um, only because God conceived something in a silly little mind like this that probably still, is still a bit of a teenager. But here's the point in your minds. The devil gets in. And he wants to rob, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal from you your dream. And I just feel God is saying to each of you, this here is designed to dream things beyond where you are now. Amen. He wants you to go beyond where you are now. Use it for the right reasons. Chuck the stuff out that's wrecking your dreams. Chuck it out. That's from the pit of hell. Amen. Amen. That's not the sermon. But anyway, I do feel that strongly. So now I can take the hat off. Now I'm now a 60-year-old man. <laughs> but never mind. Rightio. I'm entitled my message this morning, Friend of God, Enemy of the Devil. Friend of God, Enemy of the Devil. What's a friend? Tell me what is a friend. Someone you can trust. Yeah. Someone you can trust? Yeah. How many people have friends? Helen. <laughs> I know you have friends. Okay. So a friend is someone you can trust. True? Yeah, someone you can lean on. Someone you can lean on. Get God feed let's feed this thing about what is a friend. Someone that cares for you. Someone that cares for you. There's more to it. Someone who'll die for you. Someone who'll die for you? I've got many of them. I love the Aussie mateship aspect and even the diggers. These men died for each other. These men laid their lives down because of the mateship stuff and because of the people who are at home. You know, friends, Aussie mateship, it's part of your culture. The other thing about a friend is they care about you, but you've got to care about them. 
Because you have a one-sided friendship. If you have someone who maybe is your friend or thinks they're your friend and all they do is take from you, I don't know if that's a friend. What do you call people like that? I don't know. What do you call people like that? Suckers. Users. (laughs) Nobody likes a one-sided friendship. Yeah. True? And um, I want to talk today about this aspect of being a friend of God. You see, he was crazy enough to say to his disciples, I now call you friend. In the song and the lyrics that we sang earlier on, it talked about, God, you call, call me your friend. So I kind of want to look at that. Now, what's an enemy? Because you've got friend of God, enemy of the devil. Somebody help me with what's an enemy. Anybody got me? I hate you. They hate you. They want to destroy you. They want to destroy you. They want to destroy your reputation. They want to destroy your reputation. So I'm going to read the two definitions. Um, I'm going to do my best to only do an hour and a half. What? You're dreaming. I told you. Where's my hat? Put my hat back on. I will cut you off. Oh, mate. I don't know, Rod. I don't know, Rod. I don't know. I know. I will still cut him off. No, you know what? You know what I love about this this woman? I mean, I love my wife. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But you know, sometimes people get intimidated if you know you you know and whatever you're doing because when you meet them, she does not get intimidated one ounce. In fact, she gives me stick. Rod, Tamara, a fellow New Zealander. Anyway, what am I talking about? Definitions. A friend is someone that you share close affection with. You share kindness, sympathy, empathy, compassion, loyalty, fun, fun, and probably some common beliefs and values, or you definitely do. God calls us his friend, but there are conditions to the, in a sense, to the friendship. What qualifies us as a friend? An enemy, a person who hates or opposes another person and tries to harm them or stop them from doing something. So an enemy is someone who does in fact hate you, but is someone who is determined for whatever reason to try to bring destruction to you and try to stop you from living out whatever dream you are meant to live. Whatever thing that is locked inside of your life, the enemy or our enemy wants to stop that. It is very important to be smart enough to know who are your friends and who are your enemies. You know, sadly... Um, I've had some people who I would have described as, in fact, enemies who really had been part of our church at times. Because they weren't really my mates. They weren't really there to uh, have this common sense of doing it together. They really were there with an agenda. And, you know, they become destructive because they didn't believe in what we were trying to do. You know, you would have people in your life like that. You can even be married to people like that or have been married to people like that. So it's so important you understand that you do have friends and a friend, but you do have an enemy and enemies. Okay, now I want to twist it around a little bit and go to the book of Nehemiah because Nehemiah is quite an interesting guy. Nehemiah was the king's cup bearer in the Persian Empire the Persian Empire was the, uh, had uh, taken over the Babylonians. The Babylonians were the ones that came in and took all the people captive from uh, Israel and took them to the land of Babylon and 
Daniel and all of those guys and stuff like that. There's a lot of books in the Bible written around this space and time. Nehemiah, uh, so, so what happens is for 70 years they're in captivity. Jeremiah prophesies that after a period of time, these people are going to go back. But what happened was some people went back after 70, year, 70 years, but Nehemiah was still living in this land that was no longer Babylon, but the land of Persia or the seat of power. And then another 70 years passes and Nehemiah is in this position. So 140 years after they went into captivity, some had gone back 70 years earlier and now Nehemiah is the king's cup bearer. And uh, that's where we're going to read from. So the background, it's important you know the background. You know, what I, you know, the more I do this thing, Rob, the more I love to look at the background of the what's, the where's, the why's, and the how's. Do you know um, this guy who was the king, Artaxerxes? Artaxerxes had a mother-in-law who was a godly woman. Do you know who that mother-in-law was? Esther. Crazy. Esther, who was born for such a time as she was, was positioned by God to influence the coming king who was her son, her stepson. Not a lot of people know about that. Got one on your rod. <laughs> See, what you've got to understand, my friends, is God is in control. God isn't kind of throwing ideas out there every now and again to try and stop the enemy or fulfill his plan. He is incredibly strategic and he places people in generation and times for such a time as they live in. You are now placed in this generation, whether you know it or not, by the creator of the universe to become and be part of this massive plan. Amen. Just like Esther. Hallelujah. So you've got to understand, here's this Nehemiah placed as the cupbearer to this incredibly powerful figure who had influence coming down from his mother, stepmom who had a heart for God for such a time as that. Interesting. Anyway, right here, from verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month... I'm, I'm losing my breath. That's what happens when you get to 60. No. <laughs> Where am I to? In the month of Kezdalef, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. Verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Verse 4, incredibly, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah qualifies as a friend of God. Do you know that? Nehemiah and how he reacts to the trouble of his fellow Jews qualifies according to Jesus, which we'll look at a little bit further on, as a friend of God. You see, he was a friend of God because he was aware of God's heart and love for his people. He was also aware of the fact 
that he himself, because God was his friend, because he loved God, because it wasn't a one-way transaction between him and God, that, hey, God, just give me. But in fact, he was a friend of God because he felt the pain that his friend felt. Do you understand? See, a really good friend of mine, when I go through a hard time or, or when I'm uh, in need of help, they put their hand up. True friends put their hands up. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nehemiah, you'll note as he prays, is so touched by what's happening with his people that he weeps. And not only does he weep, he went out without food because he was so touched in his heart. You've got to understand about Nehemiah too, right? Because Nehemiah was living in quite a good spot compared to a lot of others because as he lived at the king's table, or not quite at the table, but as he was a servant, directly to this king, there were benefits. He was living in quite a, a nice life of comfort. Very interesting. So, he prays a prayer in verse 5. Then I said to the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him, and he keeps his commandments. The wall was down in Jerusalem. His fellow Jews were being attacked, made fun of, stolen from. He's in the king's palace. He's moved by the predicament of these people to the point of fasting. How many people, when's the last time you fast? Don't answer. When's the last time you did some fasting for the kingdom of heaven? Maybe never. Just a thought. Just a thought to kind of throw in some possibilities, perhaps. So he fasts and he weeps. In fact, when's the last time you actually wept for the things that God weeps about? Kind of interesting. I do make a lot of fun, but I, I do, there are some serious aspects about who we are and what we should be about with our lives. It's very dangerous for you if you're a Christian. I'll tell you. It's very dangerous for you if you are a believer and you have a one-way friendship with God. Your friendship is only about, give me God. Yeah. Remember what we said earlier? What kind of friend is that? Yeah. Well, it's not a friend, it's just someone who's a taker. In fact, possibly could fall into the category of a user. See, God's destiny for you when you met him was he wanted a friendship. He didn't want a one-way relationship with you. He wanted you to feel what he felt. He wanted you to see what he saw. Anyway, let's move on to something a little bit more cheery. <laughs> no, the walls were broken down. Mm. Nehemiah qualified as a friend of God because he cared about what God cared about. Nehemiah wept because he knew his... Master, the king of the universe, was weeping for the state of his people. Nehemiah also knew the nature of God because you will notice in his prayer that he talks about the God, not of the covenant of the Lord, not of the covenant of we've got to do this, this and this, but he talks about the covenant that God expressed of love. Amen. You see, here's the thing about someone who's my friend. They know me and they know what I love. They know a lot about me. They know the good and the bad about me. 
And for me on my journey of God, the more I understand who he is, the more I understand this incredible love of the creator of the universe. Amen. The more I understand why he feels what he feels when he sees people trapped and struggling, where the enemy is pulling them apart and destroying them, that God's love is moved in his heart. Nehemiah Amen. knew how to approach God. He knew how to approach God. There's so much in his approach to God. Repentance, a whole lot of stuff. But this thing of love. See, if you don't understand that God, the Creator, is this incredible... He's not even a channel of love. He is love. Do you understand? And see, like I said, I've been doing this ride with Him for a long time. And when I remind myself of his love, like Nehemiah, was, was Nehemiah reminding God? You know when you pray, Nehemiah says, God, remember. He's not really reminding God. He's telling God that he knows who God is. Do you understand? I often pray scripture because I pray scripture because I, I'm praying to God, saying, God, this is who you are. And he's telling God, you're the God of the covenant of love. Let's just move ahead a little bit to Jesus. Jesus pulls a group of 12 together, like Pekka said earlier on. Jesus pulls the group pulls together a bunch of guys who go this on this journey with him for three and a half years, who he, remember the God who is in control, remember the God who puts people in generations for such a time as this. He's talking to these 12 men because he put them in history for such a time that they were living in. And so his instruction to them were about what you should do in the generation you are living in for such a time as they were living in. You understand? They'd been out doing a whole lot of stuff. Matthew 9.35. Go to the next. Oh, you have got it. You got it. Right. You're so good. I'll, I'll train them well, mate. You do? Oh, Tamara. You you, the only reason you're any good is because Rod showed you. No. Here we go. Matthew 9.35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. He's got these guys. He's teaching them to be this group of people who will affect the world. They're watching him do this stuff. It goes on to say the verse after that, that he said, Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth workers. So he's got the guys who he's training to live in this generation for such a time as they were put in that, strategically by the mind and hand of God. And he's trying to get them to see what he can see, my friends. Amen. And see, later on, because he has this encounter with them, and in fact, these men became the workers of the harvest. They started to see what he could see. John 15. You remember, see, 
John 15, 14 through to 15. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I've made known to you. This is a transaction of friendship, my friends. This is a transaction of the maker of the universe who was transacting and showing them everything that was in his heart, what he felt. He said, can you see that I can see these multitudes? He was already healing the sick. But he realized the immensity. He knew the immensity and he knew that he needed people to be put in generations for such a time as this. Are you a friend of God? Are you really? Do you qualify? Does your life demonstrate to those around you? I know Rod and Jeanette are friends of God. Do you know how I know that? Because I watch what they do. I watch the toil that they put in so you can come to church. I watch the toil that, it, that they put in because they can see what he can see. And they want you to see what they can see that Jesus wants us to see. That sounds a little bit tricky, doesn't it? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. See, all those years ago for me and Pekka, when we met this Saviour, the Master of the Universe, this Creator, incredible, we have been on a journey of seeing what he can see. When I went to Africa, I could not shake what I saw there. I didn't want to go back. But I couldn't shake what Jesus showed me. The little children with AIDS, the poverty, the, all that stuff. I could shake it. And all these years later, I'm so thankful that I saw what he could see. Amen. I'm so thankful that even now with everything that we do, that I see what he can see. And you know what? Because I'm his mate. Because he calls me friend. I do what he wants me to do. This thing where he says, my friends, do what I command. You see, it's not like, get out there and do it. It's like, feel my heart. Feel my heart of why Jesus went to the cross. And you're my mate if you follow and join in. Use your life and the generation that we live in for such a time as this. Rod is so right. The world is crazy. <sighs> Can I have an amen? Amen. amen? Friend of God. Nehemiah is a friend of God because I watch what he does. He feels, he prays. You know, prayer is talking to your mate with respect, of course. When, when Nehemiah addresses the God of love, he knows because a lot of the people back in his day and even when Jesus came were full of religion and weren't following the God of love. They were following a God of rules. And they were hypocrites because they didn't even do what they were trying to tell everybody else to do. Anyway, side thing. I want to tell you something. I want to inspire you this morning. I want your life to change this morning to a greater extent of wanting to be a friend of God. That your life, you will live out the dreams and plans that God has designed from when you were even on this planet for you. 
know the cool thing? There's so much, I don't know, man. I love this Nehemiah thing at the moment. Here's the cool thing. Nehemiah goes and he's saying, God, you know, God, please, please. And he says, he cries out, God, let your gracious hand do some stuff when he's praying. You're the God of love. He says, Lord, we're sorry. He even apologizes on behalf of his people in his prayer. And then what happens is the day comes in chapter 2. And he comes before the king and the king says, what's up with you, dude? And he says, and it says he was with, full of great fear. He was terrified because this dude could chop his head off, basically. <clears throat> but he takes his moment, tells the guy, Artaxerxes, he didn't, I don't know how much he knew that God was already influencing this king. I don't know how much he knew if Esther had been trying to tell him of the God of Israel. But something significant happens because this king joins in the game. This king then begins to be the king who begins to supply everything that he needs. And then I just want to take out a verse 8 because of time. And he said to the king, And may, um, may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make the beams for the gates and the citadel and the temple, uh, by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And this is the most incredible statement. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. I gotta tell you, this is so inspiring that you, when you become a, hand of, a friend of God, see, when you become a friend of God, you change your position with the rest of the planet. You are no longer just who you are, but something happens when you take up and join in with him. When you become his friend, then there is some cool stuff that goes on. You see, what happens is because he was doing what God called him to do, he experienced this thing he describes as the gracious hand of God. Amen. That a king of the Persian Empire supplies a foreign people he wasn't even threatened by the fact that these Jews wanted to build their the gracious hand of God. Nehemiah had this life of seeing this gracious hand of God. The gracious hand of God is the most amazing thing. The gracious hand of God for me and so many times in my life where I've seen things happen that I can only explain because I ain't smart enough. I ain't tall enough. I don't have enough hair. I don't know. That are beyond natural. That are supernatural. See, your faith, my friends, is not meant to be mundane, boring, come to church, lift my hands, and then life is as usual. And you come under all the challenges and uh, struggles of your life and you bend down. You're meant to be above it because you have the gracious hand of God. But if your life is not about being a friendship with God and being part of feeling what he feels, seeing what he sees, you will not get that gracious hand of God to see the miraculous that he wants you to see. You know, how dumb are we if we don't do that? Am I... Amen. 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 Amen, amen. What do they say at the conference? Can somebody give me an amen? Amen. 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 
Interaction with a guy named Sam Ballot in Nehemiah 2.10. And when uh, Sam Ballot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, are we on the right scripture? Yeah, yeah. Again, right. It's good you do as you're told. It's good. <laughs> Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. See, here's the thing, which spices up your life, Rod, <laughs> is when you become a friend of God, you get the gracious hand of God, it's just the most amazing thing. But what happens is this, his enemies become your enemies. It's a very interesting statement to say, his enemies become your enemies. Do you understand that? Yeah. And see, when you make friendship with somebody, there are others who might not like that person. You become on that side of the equation for those other people. And that's like that with the devil. And see, you know in Star Wars where it goes, um, you know, with the um, Jedi Knights and, you know, um, Darth Vader and uh, when, you know, the Skywalker and all his mates, there's something going on. And he goes, there is a, could do this. There is a disturbance in the force. When you start becoming a friend of God, you disturb the atmosphere. Amen. You Woo! disturb spiritual things. Hallelujah. And the enemy becomes disturbed by you. Amen. And you change from being just someone who maybe might even be under his control to someone who is a friend of his enemy, God. Do you understand? Yeah. And you are naive, my friends, if you don't understand that. Mm -hmm. Then let's move along. Oh, you know what Sam Bellet the word means? In uh, a number of biblical um, dictionaries. 
That means a hidden enemy or enemy in the bush. See, at this point, Sam Ballot is just thinking this stuff. These guys aren't aware of it. So then what happens is I love this uh, when it ch- in verse uh, 19. Because then what happens is Nehemiah and them start, they pull the group together and they've got the team and they're going to do it. And the disturbance in the force starts to realise, uh-oh. In verse 19, but when Sam Ballot the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official. And then there's another one. Oh my gosh, they've run. And Gish, Gishim, Geshem. Geshem, the Arab, heard about it. And then the, the action starts. They mocked and they ridiculed, ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Here's the thing. See, this is what I've learned, right? Because I'm still learning. Is my enemy... The more I start to get going, the more he teams up with a whole bunch more. The more you get doing stuff, the more the enemy pulls together his team to give you a hard time because it goes from two to three because the enemy spreads his garbage. But this is what I love because I better finish because she's going to shut me off. Is this Nehemiah's reply. Verse 20. And I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give me or give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. As for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim on her, on, on her historic right. See, you got to talk to the enemy sometimes. And he's enforcing some legal, legal aspects about this. You've got to talk to the enemy sometimes and tell him to shut his mouth. You've got to talk to the enemy sometimes and say, dude, you're not going to stop me. Amen. This dude was determined to do what God had called him to do. And Rod, I just want to inspire you and Jeanette. Don't listen to the thief and the enemy of God because he's your enemy too. And he will attack you. He will mock you. He will make you feel like whatever you're doing doesn't matter. But friends of God keep doing what their friend wants them to do. Do you understand? I'm going to close. But I just really want to leave you with this challenge. Are you in a one-way transaction with God? Because that's not friendship. You need to take a moment, stop, and see the cool thing is, when we're out of line of the plan, we just have to say sorry. Step back in. God, I'm sorry. That's what happens in Nehemiah's prayer. And then, Start to hear what he's saying to you about your life. I really encourage you with Rod and Jeanette. I believe they are a friend of God and you're blessed to have them. But you need to come and help as much as you can. You're not here to sit in the pew. Your faith is not about you take. It's about you joining in and rescuing a lost world. Enjoy it too. Join with me as I pray. Mm. Lord Jesus, 
I, I, it blows my head out that you want me and everyone here to be in friendship with you. And God, that you want to put us on the most exciting plan in history. And God, yes, we do have it in him, but you've given us authority over it. I pray for inspiration on each life that is here. God, that there would be a stirring in their hearts. That where there is repentance required, they would just come and say, God, I'm sorry. And Lord, then you would fill them with the courage and the plan and purpose that you have put them in this generation for such a time as this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I will finish with one last thing. The Prime Minister, we had the massive privilege on Wednesday night of hearing the Prime Minister of this nation of Australia preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to us. We had the privilege of hearing him talk to us and cry out for our help for this nation. We had the privilege of hearing a man of faith positioned by God for such a time as this. Speak that way. This is a special time for this nation. This is a special time for you. You are here because God put you here. Join in the fight. And if you're tired, you know, pick it up again. Amen. Amen. It was a great message. Hallelujah. I didn't have to prepare it. That, that made it pretty good. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, pretty amazing, eh? Pretty amazing what somebody who hears God's voice and obeys can actually achieve. Pretty amazing. And, and he didn't even get poisoned. He was the king's cupbearer. It was his job. To taste all the drink in case it had been poisoned. Cupbearers didn't last very long <laughs> back in those days. And he got, well, he won the favour of the king. It's pretty mm. amazing, isn't it? Anyway, you don't want to hear another, another similar from me. But, you know, as always, we, we, we want to give people an opportunity here to receive Jesus as their own personal Lord and Saviour. You know, I know. No one's going to come forward, but we need to be ready. And if I may take just, yeah, I will, I will steal another moment from your lives before morning tea. I thought it was extraordinary how the theme of revival came through at the yeah. conference. Yeah. I don't believe that was in anybody's schedule. I didn't see anybody looking at their notes. They didn't have pre-prepared um, PowerPoint slides or anything. But over and over and over again, the theme of revival appeared. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Not just on the Gold Coast, but all over our nation. And so we need to be ready to give people the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. You know our, our scripture. For if you publicly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation. And that's the offer the God of Nehemiah makes to every one of us. And so this is an opportunity. 
for those who have never had a personal relationship with Jesus or who have and it's time to renew it to simply open up their heart and allow the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings to enter in and it is as simple as confessing that he is Lord with your lips and believing in your heart that he is who he says he is in Jesus name well folks of course we went over time of course you're going to go over time when you've got two preachers in your midst <laughs> three preachers whatever anyway <laughs> hallelujah the place is full of preachers that's good eh because we're going to be very very busy during this revival very very busy because I would think there's about a quarter of a million people on the Gold Coast who don't have a relationship with Jesus we're going to be running a few services on Sundays eh? Amen. <laughs> praise the Lord so let's go and enjoy some fellowship eh? thank you so much for being here and um, 